Proverbs 3, verses 13 to 35. Uh, well, when I was just a wee lad, I think my favorite movie, at least for a time, was uh, Aladdin. And uh, there's a lot to like about Aladdin. Um, there's some great songs, and uh, there's um, a lot of adventure and classic rags-to-riches sort of story. Uh, but I think part of what really captured my imagination was this, this fantasy of having one's very own genie and his three wishes. It's fun for me just to imagine what life would be like, what I could do, what I could be, what I could have if I had this mythical creature that would give me whatever it is I wished for and desired in this life. And then as I, as I was thinking about that this, this past week, it occurred to me just how revelatory dwelling on something like this might be for us. To simply take time, if you had access to a genie, consider, you know, what would you do if you had a real-life genie that could give you three wishes, whatever you wanted, whatever you desired, save the genie's three rules in Aladdin, what would you choose? If you could have anything you want, what would you select if you're honest with yourself? Now, some of us undoubtedly might need some more time to think about it. might be good to dwell on this question later. Others might need no time at all. But I, I would venture to say that for most people, some of the most common answers among many would probably pertain to matters like material goods and finances. Perhaps marriage and family wishes. Maybe yours have to do with work or health or home or, or maybe something else comes to mind for you. But whatever it is, I want you to consider something. I want you to consider that whatever it is that comes to mind for you, the thing or things you desire most, the reason you desire them is because you think they'll make you happy. Because you'll think that by those things... You might begin to enter into or perhaps even achieve a state of human flourishing. You think that these things will help you in your path to and pursuit of human flourishing. In fact, I think it's safe to say that really all the desires of our hearts, all the, the daydreams of our imaginations, all of the decisions of our will, everything we want and desire and pursue in this life, we actually want and desire and pursue because we ultimately desire happiness and human flourishing, and we think that they'll help us get there. Uh, Jonathan Pennington once wrote about this reality in a journal, call, journal article he wrote, and it, he said that human flourishing alone is the idea that encompasses all human activity and goals, because there's nothing so natural and inescapable as the desire to live and to live in peace, security, love, health, happiness. He says, these are not merely cultural values or the desire of a certain people or time period. The desire for human flourishing motivates everything humans do, both belief in religion or the rejection of it, monogamous marriage and the promiscuous lifestyle, waging war and making peace, studying history and creating art, planting fields and building skyscrapers. All human behavior, when analyzed deeply enough, will be found to be motivated by the desire for life and flourishing individually and corporately. And he's right. The desire and pursuit of human flourishing is embedded in every other human desire and pursuit. 
There's, there's no question. The, 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 the question is not whether or not that's what we desire. The question is, is the kind of life we desire and pursue going to actually lead us there? That's the real question. And what Solomon is going to tell us this morning is this, is that if wisdom is not at the top of that list regarding what we would wish for from that genie, if wisdom is not what we desire and pursue above all else, then the answer is no. Wisdom must be found if we're going to be truly happy in life. Human flourishing is only found on the other side of the pursuit of wisdom. To flourish, we must pursue and find wisdom. And the good news of our passage this morning is that it's actually available to all of us. Let's read Proverbs 3, 13 through 35. If you'd like to stand with me for the reading of God's holy and precious word, let's listen to what our Lord God has said by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit through the pen of Solomon. Let's listen with reverence, reverence and rejoicing to God's word. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, He established the heavens. By His knowledge, the deeps broke open and the clouds dropped down the dew. My son, do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion and they will be life for your soul and adornment for your neck. Then you will walk on your way securely, and your foot will not stumble. If you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden terror or of the ruin of the wicked when it comes, for the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come again. Tomorrow I will give it when you have it with you. Do not plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you. Do not contend with a man for no reason when he has done you no harm. Do not envy a man of violence and do not choose any of his ways. For the devious person is an abomination to the Lord, but the upright are in his confidence. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. Toward the scorners he is scornful, but to the humble he gives favor. The wise will inherit honor but fools get disgrace. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Through Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Well, as most of you know, we're, we're slowly making our way through Proverbs chapters 1 to 9, and uh, we've been seeing that these first nine chapters of the book of Proverbs uh, 
is a series of poetic addresses from a king father to his prince son. And uh, the, the father and the son have assumed a, a, a kind of anonymity so that uh, these addresses might be universally applied to us and to all God's people. I'm really with that. Haven't we seen that ultimately, since this is God's Word, we would do well to remember that, that these words are actually the words of God our Father addressing us, His royal children in Christ, inviting us into and equipping us with this gift called wisdom. And that's what we've been seeing in these addresses is, is an invitation to wisdom. Uh, the sort of main message of uh, these chapters is that there are really two paths that we might choose and walk down in this life. There's the path of wisdom and the path of folly. And this path of wisdom is a, a path of delight. This path of folly is a path of destruction. It's a path of life and a path of death. And everyone's got to choose one of these two paths. There are, there's no other options available to us. There's only two choices. The choice is not necessarily easy, but these are the paths, these are the choices, and we're being beckoned by God here to choose the path of wisdom. And with that, you know, what, what is wisdom? Uh, wisdom, we've said, is, is this skill of living in right relationship with everything in life that begins with having right relationship with God. Wisdom is the skill of living in right relationship with everything in life, and it begins with having a right relationship with God. It's living in right relationship with, with righteousness and morality. It's, it's living in right relationship with your church and your family and your friends and your neighbors and your coworkers. It's having right relationship with yourself, with your emotions. It's, it's living in right relationship with work and money and food and drink and rest and everything. But it all begins with having a right relationship with God and then progressively learning from Him how to live in right relationship with everything else in life. That's what we're being invited into in these chapters. And this invitation we've been seeing is ultimately an invitation to Jesus Christ. Uh, we've seen wisdom in these chapters being personified as this beautiful and attractive woman, but, but on this side of Christ's first advent, we actually know that wisdom truly is actually personified, and it's personified in Him. 1 Corinthians 1.30 says that Jesus is to us wisdom from God. Colossians 2.3 tells us that, that all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Him. And that makes perfect sense when we recognize that it's only in and through Jesus Christ that we're brought into right relationship with God in the first place, right? He's, he's the only one who has lived in right relationship with God in the first place, and, and, and He's the only way, therefore, to begin to live in right relationship with God because He alone has lived this life of wisdom that we all ought to have lived but haven't and couldn't. He lived in right relationship with God and everything in life. He alone was righteous, good, true, and yet He went to the cross there to experience destruction deserved for not walking in God's wisdom and ways. He went to the cross and there took the penalty of separation from and judgment from God for us so that instead of separation and judgment from God, 
we then get to experience right relationship with God. We get to be reconciled to God because Christ was forsaken by Him for us. And then not only that, but because Christ is risen and He's now sent the Holy Spirit into our hearts, we get to receive Christ's own guidance and example and power progressively learning to live in right relationship with everything else in life too by His gift and grace. That's what discipleship is. That's what we're being beckoned into. It's, it's learning from Jesus to live in right relationship with everything in life. And in this, you can easily see that Jesus is wisdom for us. He is the one in whom all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found. He brings us into right relationship with God. And by his teaching and guidance, he teaches us how to live in right relationship with everything else in life. Jesus is the path of wisdom. It all only comes in and by and through him. And so then in our particular text this morning, what we find here is the Father trying to persuade and attract. He's he's showing us how attractive this life of wisdom is. He's showing us something of the benefits that we'll receive if we receive this invitation to wisdom. There are benefits in this passage put before us as incentives to to stimulate and encourage us toward choosing God's wisdom and ways over folly and unrighteousness. Now, there are two main sections of our text this morning. They each kind of have two subsections within each of them, but the two main sections are verses 13 to 20 and 21 to 35. And in verses 13 to 20, we see the flourishing and fittingness of the wise And in verses 21 to 35, we see the repose and righteousness of the wise. First, we're going to look at the flourishing and the fittingness, which is a word, by the way. Didn't make it up. The flourishing and fittingness of the wise. Verse 13 begins our text saying, Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. Now, part of what's so uh, encouraging about this text is that it shows us that that wisdom is, is universally available to us, right? The, the word translated as one here is the Hebrew word Adam, a, a word that just means generic man, just a person in general. Uh, bless one who finds wisdom. That, that means that wisdom is available to you and me and Joe Schmo down the street. It doesn't require a particularly high IQ. It doesn't require a certain level of education. It's not for a special class, for elites. It's for you and me and everyone. We can all find and get in on this gift called wisdom in and by Jesus Christ. And if we do, Solomon says here that we will be happy. Now, that word translated as as blessed there, it's a very important and perhaps misunderstood word. It's the word asher, asher. And this text is maybe what some scholars, uh, it it is what some scholars would call an asherism. Uh, Or maybe you've heard of, uh, it's it's called by the Latin phrase a beatitude before. It comes from the Latin word beatus, which means happy. Right? You can find Old Testament examples of asherisms or beatitudes in places like Psalm 1 or Job 517, Psalm 32:1. You can find examples in the New Testament from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes there. Uh, you can find this kind of thing, though, a lot throughout the Psalms and the Proverbs. And many translations translate the word Asher as blessed. 
Others, you might have a translation that more appropriately translates it as uh, happy or fortunate. Um, My my favorite translation comes from a a biblical scholar, Jonathan Pennington, uh, and he translates this word and its New Testament equivalent to uh, flourishing, flourishing. And I, I think that's a wonderful translation, probably the best we have for the word. Because, listen, understand, blessed or blessing is it's not necessarily a bad translation, but happy, fortunate, flourishing, it helps us get something of a better picture of what's going on here. Because when we see that word blessing or blessed, often what happens is this, is we associate this kind of text with benedictions. You might think, we might think that these are our blessings, right? Of course, what we call benedictions or blessings are, are biblical things. They're good things. Uh, we actually end every service here with a benediction, a, a blessing for the road, right? We see benedictions all over Scripture. Number six, the Lord bless you and keep you. Second Corinthians 13, may the grace of the Lord Jesus, the love of God, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Those are blessings But there are different Hebrew and Greek words for those kinds of things. There are different kinds of speech. Those are pronouncements made over you to bring about a specific good. But that's not what an asherism is, though. An asherism is not a pronouncement of blessing over someone. An asherism is a description, a congratulatory description of someone in a state of well-being. Okay, so, so an asherism is a description of someone in a state of well-being that invites us into their way of life. An asherism congratulates someone for living the good life. It looks at a person and says, that's the ideal way of being human. Okay, that's the good life. That's what we should all desire and pursue. You Gen Zers here in the room, you do this whenever you say about someone, they're living their, that's right, they're living their best life, right? That's a contemporary asherism, okay? Uh, imagine some big famous social media influencer posts on Instagram or whatever social media is cool these days. I don't really know. Um, and, and, an influencer posts on some social media platform um, pictures, videos, posts of her going on traveling on wildly extravagant, adventurous vacations, eating amazing food, meeting interesting people, uh, all while being beautiful and rich in all of that. And what kind of comments do you see under those posts on social media? She's living her best life. That's an asherism. It's a congratulatory description of someone in a perceived state of well-being. They're saying, that's the ideal way of living life and being human, right? And there's a certain invitation in that too, isn't there? It's painting a picture of what the good life is, and it's supposed to create a desire in you to live that same kind of life, right? That's, that's an asterism. That's what Solomon is doing here. Only he's not saying that the good life, the happy life, a life of human flourishing comes from riches or beauty or cool traveling experiences. He's saying that the good life 
actually comes through the acquisition of wisdom, which again, should not be confused with merely having highly intelligent, you know, being, having an IQ or having a certain level of education. No, wisdom is living in right relationship with everything in life that starts with being in right relationship with God in and through Jesus Christ. Knowing God and learning to do life from Him in and through Jesus Christ. That's what we're invited to acquire here. That, Solomon says, is what leads to human flourishing. And in fact, Solomon goes on to say here that wisdom and in, in its, in its achievement of that or pursuit of that is actually superior to all the other stuff that we usually associate with the good life. It says in verses 14 and 15 that the gain from wisdom is better than gain from silver and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels and nothing you desire can compare with her. It says wisdom is superior, it's better, it's greater, it's grander than material goods and financial, financial wealth and whatever else you might desire. We often might associate wealth and lots of stuff and nice cars and homes and, and, and all of that with the good life, but Solomon, who should know, by the way, says, no, all of that is good as far as it goes. But if you had to choose between the two, you should choose with wisdom every time. It's better at every turn. Knowing God and His ways is better at every turn. Uh, Ray Ortland illustrates this well when he writes that money can put food on the table, but wisdom puts laughter around that table, right? Money can buy a house, but wisdom makes it a home. Money can buy a woman jewelry, but wisdom wins her heart. In other words, wisdom... Or money, money can give you stuff. Money can give you stuff, but wisdom will make you and will help you help others around you flourish. Money can give you stuff, but only wisdom can give you a meaning and purpose and fulfillment in life that nothing can take away from you. Money can give you stuff, but wisdom can give you a satisfaction that isn't based on your circumstances. Money can give you stuff, but wisdom can help you cultivate healthy relationships and community with those around you. Money can give you stuff, but wisdom can give you a a sense of identity that isn't based on external conditions and therefore isn't fragile. Money can give you stuff But wisdom will help you live with contentment and peace in your heart no matter what comes, knowing that you're good with the sovereign of heaven who will always work all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Wisdom is so much better than money and stuff, Solomon says. Remember coming across something that tangibly shows this years ago. It's from a a Rolling Stone interview with Brad Pitt. And of course, we all know that Brad Pitt has it all. Uh, He has the looks, the success, the money, the possessions, and he seems to just look better with age, weirdly enough, right? But in this interview, Brad, he seems to be coming to terms with the reality that, that all of this is not actually satisfying him. It's not actually fulfilling him. In this interview, he tells the interviewer, Man, I I know all these things are supposed to seem important to us, the car, the condo, our version of success. But he says, if that's the case, 
Why is the general feeling out here reflecting more impotence and isolation and desperation and loneliness? He says, if you ask me, I say, toss all this. We got to find something else because all I know is that at this point in time, we're heading for a dead end, a numbing of the soul, a complete atrophy of the spiritual being, and I don't want that. The interviewer is shocked by this, essentially just goes, we're heading toward this kind of dead end, this existential dead end in society. What do you think we should do about it? Pitt says, I don't know. I don't have those answers yet. He says, the emphasis now is on success and personal gain. I'm sitting in in it, and I'm telling you that's not it. I'm the guy who's got everything. I know, but I'm telling you, once you've got everything, then you're just left with yourself. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. It doesn't help you sleep any better, and you don't wake up any better because of it. Take it from a man who, like Solomon, is thought to have it all, but who still hasn't found true happiness. Money and material things don't give you human flourishing, but wisdom, on the other hand, Solomon says in verses 16 to 18 here, as we need to move on, it does. Listen to what he writes about wisdom here. He says, long life is in her right hand, in her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her, Those who hold her fast are called happy or flourishing, asher. Again, wisdom brings flourishing. Of course, some might read those those words and be tempted to think that Solomon is teaching here some kind of prosperity gospel. That if you just live in right relationship with God and walk according to His ways, you'll be healthy and wealthy and you won't ever suffer seem to undermine perhaps something of what we just saw prior, right? Of course, there's a a certain covenantal context to these words here, and moreover, we would do well to remember that for those who walk in wisdom as we've defined it, one day we will experience health and wealth and absence of suffering and abundance beyond our wildest imagination, But, but prior to glory in this fallen evil age that we live in, we need to remember that we're not promised a pain free life here. Right, the passage immediately preceding ours this morning reminded us last week of God's discipline. should show us that pain-free life is not promised here, and that a pain-free life is not even necessarily what's best for us. We're not promised health and wealth and absence of suffering in this life. Long life and riches may be in wisdom's right and left hand, but it doesn't say those things will necessarily be open to us. Of course, they, they might be, and that's okay. The fact of the matter is, if, if, is if you walk in wisdom, things generally go better for you in life when it comes to long life and riches, right? The rest of Proverbs will speak to realities involving working hard in life, not spending your money frivolously, being honest, conducting yourself with integrity in your work, in your finances, not being lazy and other similar things. Those are all important aspects of living according to God's ways in the world. And generally speaking, if you live according to God's guidance in those areas, things will tend to go better for you. If everything goes as it should, you'll probably end up living a longer life and being better off financially and all of that. Yes, of course. But it's not promised 
And, and part of the reason wisdom is portrayed here as being superior to those kinds of things is, is because really the kind of happiness and human flourishing that comes from knowing God and living according to His ways can be had and can sustain you even if you don't get riches and long life and honor, right? In contrast with Brad Pitt, who, who has it all and is still afflicted with the malaise of modernity, Think about the many Christian martyrs we, we've often thought about throughout history who have gone to their deaths having lived lives of poverty and yet go singing and joyful even in the midst of lacking all honor and long life and riches. There, there's a kind of pleasantness and peace that wisdom brings you. There's a kind of pleasantness and peace that, that you can have by knowing God and walking with Him under His guidance and care that will transcend any earthly circumstances you might face. And that's why this image of the tree of life is here in verse 18. Tree of life is that tree and you find in the beginning in Genesis and at the end in Revelation Right? It's this, this tree that bears the fruit of immortality. It's found in, in the Garden of Eden in the beginning, and it will, it will be there in that Edenic city at the end of the age. But, but Solomon says wisdom is like that, that, that tree of life for those who walk in it now. Derek Kidner says of this verse that, what this is showing us is that what was lost with paradise and waits to be regained can be enjoyed in some measure here and now when man walks with God. In other words, even in the midst of a fallen world, you can be like a walking Eden. That's not to say everything will go amazingly in life, but you can flourish. You can be like a walking Eden even in the midst of hardship and suffering and sadness, but you can flourish in life no matter what it throws at you. Flourishing in this sense is it's kind of like being healthy, physically healthy, right? There's a sense in which a physically healthy person just enjoys an overall sense of well-being in some respect doesn't mean that they never get sick or injured, but, but even when they do, because they're healthy, they're better equipped to deal with that sickness or injury. Wisdom equips us to enjoy a quality of life in being like that, even in this fallen and tragic and sometimes heartbreaking world when we have right relationship with God and learn from Him to live in right relationship with everything else in life, you'll flourish in a way that's kind of like that. And that makes sense based on what we see in verses 19 and 20 here. Here we see Solomon write that the Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open, the clouds dropped down the dew. So he says that, that it was by God's wisdom that the earth was designed and brought forth. God, the, the maker and creator of all things, he he founded the created order by wisdom. This is what biblical scholars call a mirism. Mirism, as, as one scholar defines it, is this rhetorical device that tries to capture the whole of something by mentioning its extremes, right? So this happens when, when someone has searched everywhere and they say, I've searched high and low. 
This is a, a, that's a mirrorism. Here we find a mirrorism. The earth is mentioned as well as heaven. The deeps of the ocean are mentioned as well as the, the clouds that drop down the dew. Essentially, Solomon is saying that everything from heaven to earth and everything in between has been made, has been founded by the wisdom of God. And so that begs the question then, how, how does this relate to the matter at hand that those who walk in wisdom will flourish? Well, if you think about it, God, if God has created and founded the world by wisdom, that means that there's a certain orderliness in design to the way the world works. There's, there's an ordained pattern to the created order. The world works according to the pattern of wisdom. Wisdom is, is written into the fabric of creation. It's written into its DNA, so to speak, so that if you live in tune with God's ways in the world, you go with the grain of the created order, and you thereby flourish. In other words, there's a fittingness to walking in wisdom. It's just fitting. It's just natural sin, rebellion against God, separation from God, not walking in God's ways is not natural. It's, it's not natural. Sin is this cancerous parasite that leads to the opposite of human flourishing because it's not what we were made for. Wisdom, on the other hand, knowing God and walking according to His ways is fitting. And this is true even in a fallen world. Even while we, while we don't experience perfection and flawlessness on this side of glory, by God's grace in Jesus Christ, you can begin to live in a way that goes with the grain of the created order and, 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 and the way that God created you and everything to work, and it will generally work out for you in this age. And it will definitely, ultimately, eternally work out for you in the age to come. That's a promise. Not too long ago, I, I came across something that might kind of illustrate this by way of contrast. It's, it's this thing, this concept called zucosis. Uh, Alan Noble talks about this in his book, You Are Not Your Own, and he describes this thing you've probably witnessed if you've ever gone to a zoo and seen a lion in its enclosure, and it's just done nothing but kind of pace back and forth. Back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. If you've seen that, you've witnessed zucosis. The technical term is stereotypies. It's this, this repeated uh, invariant behavior pattern with no obvious goal or function, but it's essentially, it's an animal being driven to psychosis from being in captivity is what it is. And of course, you know zookeepers. They they try their best to recreate a lion's natural environment and all of that, but, but at the end of the day, as Noble points out, a zoo is still a zoo. The lion is still caged. People still come and point and stare and, and take photographs. The lion still smells churros and hot dogs from nearby vendors, right? He, he still hears the cries of animals that are supposed to be on entirely different continents. He still sleeps in an artificial cave. His meals, they're, they're scientifically engineered to you know, meet all of his nutritional needs, but they still can't satisfy his desire to hunt. 
And with the noise of the people and all the concrete and fences and bars, the lion feels just exposed and alone and anxious. All of this leads to him living out the rest of his days lethargic, anxious, pacing back and forth because he's not living in his natural environment. Well, that's a photo negative of what it looks like to live in harmony with God's wisdom and ways in the world. Living in right relationship with God through Jesus Christ and progressively being guided by Him to live in right relationship with everything else in life, that's your natural environment, right? That, that's, it's, it's what you were made for. It's what you were designed for. That's, that's why if you renounce your own wisdom and ways and take on the wisdom and ways of your Creator, you begin to grow in flourishing and true, deep satisfaction and contentment. You're happy, in other words. And and measure now and in fullness in the age to come. That's that's the flourishing and the fittingness of the wise. Now, this next point, we're going to move super quick. I realize we've spent a lot of time on that point, and and, and part of me is okay with that because there's a lot of uh, there's a lot that's subject to potentially being misunderstood, a lot that required explanation. I think this latter half is maybe going to be a bit more uh, intuitive to us, so I, I, I'm going to move a little bit more quickly through it as we see the repose and righteousness of the wise. And this latter half of our text here is a bit more proverbial. It's characterized by a series of do not statements, right? The, you see those words do not in verses 21, 25, 27, 29. 30 and 31, do not, do not, do not, he says over and over again. There's also kind of two parts uh, to this section too that's clearly delineated by a theme. Uh, so you see verses 21 to 26 speak to the repose of the wise and verses uh, 27 to 35 speak to the righteousness of the wise. Verses 21 to 26 says, my son, do not lose sight of these Keep sound wisdom and discretion, and they will be life for your soul and adornment for your neck. Then you will walk on your way securely, and your foot will not stumble. If you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden terror, of the ruin of the wicked when it comes, for the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. We're seeing here, there's a certain kind of restfulness or repose for those who walk in wisdom. Right? One of the, the benefits of wisdom is that there's a certain kind of security that those who walk in wisdom experience that leads to the, the, their consciences being quieted and at rest. And those who don't walk in God's wisdom in ways don't get to experience this. You might think of that old proverb, right? The, the wicked flee when none pursueth. That's actually from Proverbs 28.1. The wicked flee when when none pursues. The wicked, those who reject God and His wisdom, will often live with a kind of paranoia or or at least with something of a low-grade anxiety, a bothered conscience that keeps them from just being able to, to exhale and relax. If you walk according to God's wisdom in ways, Solomon says you can live with peace and quiet instead. Right? A, a, a person... This just makes sense. A person who doesn't misappropriate funds at work isn't worried about whether they're going to be caught for doing so, right? A 
A person who doesn't cheat on their spouse isn't worried about destroying their family and marriage by it. A person who doesn't hide pornography on their computer doesn't have to be concerned about being found out. Instead, a person who walks in wisdom and integrity can just rest at ease, and this is a benefit of wisdom. And so he says, don't don't lose sight of these. Don't walk in a way that would necessitate you being bothered or afraid of, in your conscience, being afraid of getting caught. Instead, walk in God's wisdom and receive His repose. The next, experiencing this sense of repose and security, walking in wisdom affords us, should, see, also extend to wanting us, us wanting to, to share something of that experience with our neighbors as well. Experiencing the benefits of wisdom should lead us to want to bless our neighbors and add to their security and safety. It should lead to, to us wanting to walk in righteousness as well, and that's what Solomon invites us into next as he gives instruction for living righteously. He goes on with his do not statements. He says, do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come again tomorrow. I will give it when you have it with you. Do not plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you. Do not contend with a man for no reason when he has done you no harm. Do not envy a man of violence and do not choose any of his ways for the devious person is an abomination to the Lord. But the upright are in his confidence. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. Toward the scorners he is scornful, but to the humble he gives favor. The wise will inherit honor, but fools get disgrace. So here he's calling us to walk down this path of wisdom, which he shows is actually the path of righteousness, one and the same path. He's calling us to not walk down the path of folly, which is actually this path of wickedness, one and the same path. And I want us to see here this concept of these concepts of righteousness and wickedness are they're, they're very common words and, and themes and contrasting categories and concepts used throughout Proverbs. We're going to see this again and again and again as the righteous and the wicked. And, and so we need to understand something of what they mean. And uh, probably the best definition I've ever heard, it comes from this famous line about the righteous and the wicked in Proverbs from Bruce Walke. He's, he's written that, that prov- in Proverbs, the righteous are willing to disadvantage themselves to advantage the community, while the wicked are willing to disadvantage the community to advantage themselves. Right? The righteous sacrificially serve and care for others while the wicked sacrifice others to serve themselves. You can see here that, that, that here in, in our text and in that definition, there's a social character to these concepts, a relationalness, a, a horizontal and communal shape to righteousness and wickedness in Proverbs. They, they, they have to do with the way you treat others around you. The wise and the righteous sacrifice what they want and desire in order to serve and benefit others, while the wicked put their own desires and wants before the good and benefit of their neighbors. That's the difference between the righteous and the wicked, the wise and the foolish. And since the Father's beckoning us here toward wisdom, He's calling us to become righteous. This is part of what it looks like to live in God's ways, to learn from Him how to live in right relationship with others in life. So He tells us to avoid wickedness, He tells us to do this by avoiding two sins of omission 
and two sins of commission. Sins of omission are, are sins of not doing the good that we ought to do. And sins of commission are sins of doing that which we shouldn't do. Right? The sins of omission are here in verses 27 and 28. And they're calling us to do good to our neighbors when it's within our power to do it. If you meet with a neighbor, a friend, co-worker, most of all, a church member in need, and, and you're able to help, Solomon says, don't withhold it from them. If they need food or financial help, shelter, clothing, to borrow your, your lawnmower, if they need a ride, if they need anything and you're equipped to help, Solomon says you should, and that you shouldn't delay in helping. Don't put it off. This is wisdom and righteousness. We're, of course, called to this in a particularly pointed manner for one another, our brothers and sisters in Christ, aren't we? I think of John 3.17, that if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Paul in Galatians 6.10 as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Right? So part of our, our call as the righteous is to create a kind of community wherein there's security for one another, particularly in the local church. We're, we're supposed to live and be something of a safety net for one another so that if anyone in our church ever comes to a place of real need, they know that we have their back, right? This is why we have a deacon of mercy, deacon Mike, an, an emergency assistant fund as, as a church. This is why we set aside money as a church in our budget every year so that if anyone in this church ever falls into hard times and finds themselves in need, we can cover it together. This is why we do this. So kind of with this, I want to take an opportunity just a moment. This is one of the things I try to say every so often in our church is this. I want you to know, so I'm making a promise to you as one of the pastors of this church, that if you are a member of this church and you ever find yourself in real need, you need food, groceries, clothing, shelter, basic needs, if you make your need known, it'll be met. I promise you, if you have a real need and you make it known, it'll be met. No member of Veritas Community Church in Dayton, Ohio, will ever go without their necessities in life. Because we're called as the household of faith to not withhold good from those to whom it is due. And biblically, we owe good to everyone and everyone we would call our neighbor because they're made in the image of our Creator. But especially, we owe good to one another in the body of Christ. It's, it's not a gift. It's owed. It's due. We're also instructed to avoid these two sins of commission, planning evil against our neighbor and contending with a man without cause. Solomon tells us to, to go, to, 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 to avoid planning evil against our neighbor, to not go out of our way pursuing conflict, to not be quarrelsome, don't start fights, live peaceably with all so far as it depends on you, and moving quickly, Guys, our, our passage is very realistic about the fact that people who plan and do evil against their neighbors and contend with their neighbors without cause sometimes seem to do very well in life. 
You probably think of very famous, obvious figures right now in the public eye who, who embody that fact. Sometimes the wicked, sometimes those who contend with their neighbors for no reason, who plan evil against their neighbors, sometimes they seem to prosper. And so, sometimes we're intrigued and enticed by their way of life. And that's why we're instructed here in verse 31 to not envy a man of violence or choose any of his ways. Sometimes in this fallen world, the righteous can seem to be suckers while the wicked seem to be success, but we're told not to be duped because in the grand scheme of things, the path of the righteous will lead to flourishing and the path of wickedness will lead to ruin. And we need to close, so, so as we do, let's consider this. Let's remember this. Don't we see this ultimately in the Lord Jesus Christ Himself, who is wisdom Himself? Don't we see this most beautifully in His person of work? Didn't He, as the only wise and righteous one, disadvantage Himself to our advantage? Didn't He, although He's God, although He's the second person of the Holy Trinity, take on the form of a servant and humble Himself, take on our humanity, and disadvantage Himself to the point of death, even death on a cross? In all, so that we might benefit and advantage from Him. All so that we might be forgiven of our wickedness and folly and instead be brought into paths of righteousness and flourishing. And didn't He, in the end, flourish and inherit honor and blessing in the resurrection? He did, and now He invites all of us to follow Him, to pick up our own crosses and follow Him on this path of wisdom and righteousness If we do, He guarantees the blessing and benefit, the flourishing and happiness, the repose and rest that He Himself has achieved in measure now and in fullness in the age to come. And we trust and follow Him. Let's pray. Father, seal this word upon our hearts as we come to the table. Remind us that Your word is true and seal upon our hearts the reality of it so that we might go from here and walk in wisdom and in flourishing and in righteousness to represent you well in the earth so that you might have witnesses to your grace and glory and so that others might be brought in to your way and your paths for the glory of your name. We pray through Christ our Lord. Amen.